Who is the devil and where did he come from? Does he have any power? If he does, where does he get it from? What are the wiles and schemes of the devil that the Bible keeps talking about? How much attention should we be giving the devil? If the devil is defeated, can't we just ignore him? In this series, we're going to the Word to find the answers to these very common questions and more. Hello and welcome to Faith Talks. I'm your host, Emily Preston, and in these podcasts, we will be discussing how to practically apply the principles found in the Word, or how to be a doer of the Word, so that you can start seeing more of the manifestation of God's grace in every area of your life. everybody and welcome back to Faith Talks where we are learning how to walk by faith through grace. Today is part 19 of my series Know Thy Adversary and in this episode we are going to be answering all of the questions that you guys have sent in throughout the course of this podcast series. So thank you to everybody who submitted their questions. I've spent a great deal of time studying them out, going to the word, finding the answers and I did rely heavily on the Holy Spirit to help me articulate and explain everything biblically and in line with the Word of God. And so I really hope that what we're going to talk about today answers those burning questions that you have about the devil and about his tactics. If for some reason I don't cover your question and it still goes unanswered, please feel free to email me and let me know what your question is and I'll get back to you individually. But I'm going to cover quite a few questions today and point people back to series and podcasts that I've done previously that might answer those questions as well. Okay, so today we're going to conclude the series Know Thy Adversary with simply just answering questions that people have about the devil. Okay, so the first question is, can Satan read our minds? So as we learn throughout the series, the only access the enemy has to us is through our thoughts. The only way that he can tempt us to sin, the only way that he can tempt us to believe the symptoms and the circumstances more than we believe the word is through thoughts. So the question is, does Satan know our thoughts? Can he read our minds? Now, I actually don't believe that he can read our minds. Only God knows our thoughts and the intents of our heart. Only God knows our deepest feelings and desires and motivations. However, God gave me an awesome illustration to show exactly how to answer this question. And he showed me an example of a group of scientists who study the behavior of animals. So if you have ever watched a nature program narrated by, say, David Attenborough or someone, and they've gone into the deepest jungles of Papua New Guinea or somewhere, and they're studying a creature, they're studying, for example, a bird. Now, the person who studies this animal seems to know exactly what that little bird is going to do next. And they narrate the program as if they can read the bird's mind. 
right? And they say things like, this little bird is storing up food for the spring and he's going to go to this neighboring tree and collect these nuts and he's going to go to this little stream and collect these twigs. And you know, I don't have to tell you the whole thing. You know what I'm talking about. And you think, how do they know that that bird is going to do that? It's as if he can read the bird's mind. Now, the reason that this naturalist knows exactly what the bird is doing, why it's doing it, and what it's going to do next is because he has spent many, many years, sometimes decades, studying it, studying its behavior, studying its actions, studying its reactions, studying its habits. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 tells us that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, or in other words, typical of man, typical of humans, common to humanity. And it gives us the idea of a defect or weakness. Okay, so no, the devil can't read our minds. However, he has been around for a very long time. He was around before the creation of man and he has been studying human behavior. He has spent millennia observing our behaviors, our actions and our reactions, our habits. He knows what temptations work on humans. He knows what temptations get us to react and respond in certain ways. He has a large catalog of temptations that are common to man or typical of humans. He knows what temptations will work on us and he doesn't even have to try to know our thoughts when we go around complaining and whining. He observes our actions. For example, we might walk past someone in the street who obviously needs help or needs the gospel and he'll be right there next to us saying, oh, you don't have time for this. You're in a hurry. You've got to get to work. What if they think you're weird? And he'll use all of these temptations that are common to man to talk us out of it. And actually, the next part of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, but God is faithful He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear or, in other words, he will not let you experience a temptation that nobody has ever had before. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God already knows the areas that we are all tempted in and for every single one of those, he has already provided a way out. He's already got it covered. So the answer to that question, can Satan read our minds, is no, he can't. But he is extremely familiar with human habits and behaviors so that he can anticipate most of the time what we're going to do next. And that's why we always stop him in his tracks when we respond to situations God's way and not the way that he typically expects us to respond. Okay, so the next question is, how do I know if my thoughts are from God, the devil, or if they're just me? And I believe that this is in response to what we talked about throughout the series, that the only way that the devil can get access to us is through thoughts. 
So the question came up, how do I know if the thoughts that I'm having are from God or the devil or if they're just me? Okay, so I actually don't believe that there's any such thing as our own thoughts when it comes to spiritual things like faith and healing and prosperity and protection and all of those things. I actually don't believe that we have our own thoughts about those things when we're standing for things. We obviously do have our own thoughts on things like what we're going to have for lunch or what shirt we're going to wear or where we're going to go or what we're going to do during the day. But when it comes to spiritual things, the Bible only ever talks about us having two minds. It only ever talks about us being double-minded. That means that there's only two minds or two sets of thoughts that we can have on any given matter. One set is God thoughts or thoughts that are based on the word and the other set is devil thoughts or thoughts that contradict the word. Romans 8 verse 6 actually confirms this and it says to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So we are either being carnally minded or or we're being spiritually minded. There's no such thing as our own minded. (laughs) And that word carnal, where it says to be carnally minded is death, that word carnal means fleshly, worldly, or of the material seen realm. And who is the God of the fleshly, worldly, material seen realm? It's Satan. So when we are being carnally minded, we are letting our thoughts be controlled and influenced by the God of the carnal realm, who is the devil. And the result of that is death or death in our circumstances. But God tells us how to not be carnally minded. And that is to be spiritually minded or to keep our mind stayed on the word, to think God's thoughts, to align our minds with what he says. And the result is life and peace in every area of our lives. So when we're standing for healing, when we're standing for something in our lives, if we're standing on the word and we have a thought about it, if it's not the word of God concerning that situation, it's from the devil. And you might think, well, that's a bit extreme. But you know what? The devil is crafty, cunning, and sly, and he uses trickery and deception. So the thoughts that are coming from the enemy don't always look like 180 degree contrary thoughts to the word of God. Obviously, there's some thoughts that are from the enemy, thoughts such as unforgiveness, jealousy, pride, fear, and all of those kind of things. But we have to learn to recognize thoughts that we think are our thoughts, but are actually thoughts from the enemy. There's a golden rule to measure every thought we have by, and that's how we know whether it's a God thought or a devil thought. The golden rule is, does it line up with pinpoint accuracy to the word of God? Does it line up exactly with the word of God? So you might have seen a carpenter or a tiler or a builder use a piece of equipment or a tool called a spirit level. 
it's almost like a rule light and it's got a little bubble in the middle of it which tells us that something is exactly straight and the bubble will slide to the left or to the right even with the slightest deviation from straight. So the word of God is our spirit level and we have to hold it up against every single thing we think or believe to see if it's exactly straight, if it's exactly in line with the word of God. And if it's not, we are the ones that have to make the adjustment. We have to make the adjustment to our thinking, not adjust the word to match our thinking. And just on that note, if more people would do this, we would have a lot less arguing and fighting in the body of Christ. But we have to measure every thought that we're having up with the word of God. And I'll give you an example of this. So people often say, oh, I just know I'm going to be healed. I know my healing is coming. I know I'm going to see the manifestation of my healing very soon. And see, statements like that sound so full of faith. And I know that they're said with the best intentions. But we have to think, what does the word say about that? What does the word say about that? And 2 Peter 2 verse 24 says, By his wounds we were, past tense, healed. We were healed. So our healing isn't coming to us from somewhere. It's not on its way. We were healed at the cross. We are healed right now. And if the enemy can put our receiving off to the future, then he can keep us in bondage to that thing right now. So when those thoughts come, oh, my healing is on its way, I know I'm going to be healed, we have to answer those thoughts with, no, I am healed right now in Jesus' name. Okay, so how do we know if my thoughts are from God, the devil, or if they're just me? Well, again, when it comes to spiritual things, our thoughts are either God's thoughts or they're the enemy's thoughts. And the way that we know that they're God's thoughts is that they line exactly up with the word of God. And that's why it's so important to meditate on the word day and night, to keep confessing the word, to speak the word every single day, because when we're meditating and speaking and confessing the truth, the truth will expose the lie that we might be believing. Okay, next question is, how can the devil be everywhere at once? (laughs) You know, because we talk about how the devil is the one that's deceiving people, the devil is the one that's getting in people's ears and influencing them. And so the question came up, how can the devil be everywhere at once? Okay, so the devil is not omnipresent. Only God is omnipresent. The devil is a created being and therefore he can't be everywhere at once. However, he does have an army of demonic forces. And this is confirmed in Ephesians 6 verse 11, which tells us that there are principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So when we say that the devil is influencing people, the devil is lying to people, it may not be Satan himself, but he has an army of minions that go about doing his demonic work. Okay, so the Bible isn't clear about how many demons there are, 
But in Luke 8 verse 30, it tells us that Jesus healed the demon-possessed man who said that his name was Legion because many demons had entered him. Now that word legion was a term used for a Roman regiment which usually had 6,000 infantry, not including cavalry. So this was the amount of demons in one man. So if one man could be possessed by 6,000 or more demons, then there must be a huge amount of demonic spiritual forces out there. In Hebrews 12 verse 22, it says, You have come to Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. That word innumerable is the Greek word which means myriad, and it actually means a number too numerous to count. So the number of angels that are in existence are actually too numerous to count. So we can't even imagine the amount of spiritual beings that there are, and we probably don't even have the capacity to imagine how many there are. But we have to also remember that there's no time or distance in the spirit realm. So a demon doesn't take 24 hours to travel from Australia to the UK. I believe that in the spiritual realm, it's instant teleportation. Revelation 12 verse 9 calls the devil the deceiver of the whole world. The devil and his demons are the ones responsible for the deception of the whole world world. But the good news is, guys, is that we have authority over every single one of those demons and the devil himself. And it doesn't matter what their location, they are still under our feet. Okay, so the devil can't be everywhere all at once, but he has a large army of forces that are on assignment to deceive people. Okay, next question is, how is Satan able to put sickness and disease on a believer when a believer has the life of God in him? Satan is defeated, but at the same time, we see believers dying before their time because of deadly diseases. How is it possible for Satan to do that, especially when the believer is not living in known sin? Okay, so I actually answered this question in the podcast series, but I'll summarize it again for you here. Satan is unable to put sickness and disease on anyone without their cooperation. If he could, he would just put sickness on disease on everybody and he would wipe out the entire human race with sickness and disease. He can't. He has to first get people to cooperate with him. And we learn that the only way that the devil can accomplish any of his plans to steal and kill and destroy is if he can first steal the word. He has to steal the word that tells us that by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. We have to remember, guys, that healing is ours right now. We are healed right now. But the enemy will use a symptom or a diagnosis or a pain to say, and remember, he talks to us in the first person, I'm not really healed because look at that symptom or look at that pain or look at that diagnosis. And if we take those thoughts, if we believe those lies more than the word of God, which says that by his stripes, I was healed, 
then he can trick us into giving up the healing that already belongs to us. And that's the killing part of the stealing, killing and destroying. The killing part is that he tricks us into sacrificing or giving up the things that already belong to us by the grace of God. So people who don't have any word in them will fall for his lies and think that they're not really healed. That's why we have to put the word in us by confessing it, meditating on it and giving our attention to it day and night because we have to be so full of the word and so fully persuaded of who we are in Christ that the devil can't talk us out of it. And people who have the word in them have to resist the devil, resist his lies, resist his thoughts and suggestions that are trying to convince them that they're not healed and resist him until he flees. The second thing that we learned is that it is possible to give the enemy place. Even believers who have the life of God in them, even believers who have Satan under their feet, even believers who are not living in known sin are able to unwittingly or unknowingly give the enemy place. Ephesians 4 verse 27 tells us to give no place to the devil, which means that it is possible to give him place. It is possible to give him a foothold. And the Bible tells us that the things that give the enemy place are strife, bitterness, unresolved anger, unforgiveness, negative emotions, death-filled words spoken about ourselves, death-filled words spoken about others, and fear. These things all give the devil place. Or in other words, it doesn't matter how spirit-filled we are, it doesn't matter how saved we are, it doesn't matter how righteous we think we are, When we do these things, we are cooperating with the devil and in effect giving him access, giving him place. So we can be word-speaking, faith-filled believers who know that healing belongs to us, but if we are constantly giving place to the devil, we are going to be constantly finding ourselves in the fight of faith against the things that we have given place to. And lastly, God tells us that it's only those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High and abide under the shadow of the Almighty that are guaranteed to live in safety, at ease and without fear of harm in any shape or form. What does it mean to dwell in the secret place and abide under the shadow of the Almighty? This means covering ourselves with the word every single day, covering ourselves with the blood of Jesus every day so that the destroyer has to pass us by. And unfortunately, most Christians don't do this. Most Christians know all about the word. They believe the word. They can quote the word. They may even be teachers and preachers of the word, but they aren't doing the word. And God says in James 1 verse 22 that if we are only hearing the word but not doing it, that we are deceiving or kidding ourselves. And in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 13, God tells us that if we believe the word, we must speak 
the word. We must give voice to the promises of God if we believe the promises of God. So that means every day saying of the Lord, saying that no weapon formed against me or my family shall prosper, saying sickness and disease, you cannot touch my family because by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed, saying that a thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it shall not come near me. Faith comes by hearing, but faith is released by speaking. So that's another reason why we see people suffering. We see believers suffering and dying before their time because they are not being doers of the word. They are hearing the word, but they are not doing the word. And a believer doesn't have to be living in known sin to give place to the devil, although living in known sin does give place to the devil. If a believer is simply not doing the things that God has told us to do to guarantee our safety and protection, they leave themselves wide open to whatever tragedy or sickness is passing by simply by default because there's nothing covering them. They don't have the blood of Jesus covering them. They don't have any spiritual armor on. They aren't dwelling in the secret place or abiding under the shadow of the Most High. So whenever anything is thrown at them, it hits them because they aren't covered. Remember in the series, we talked about the bunker in the middle of the battlefield. And that bunker is the safe place. It's the hidden place. It's the place where you are safe and secure, out of reach of the enemy, out of reach of all the bullets and the grenades flying around out there in the battlefield of the world. And as long as you remain tucked in that secret place, in that bunker, you are safe and secure. But if you step outside of that bunker, you leave yourself exposed to all of the destruction and the death that is going on in the world. I just encourage you to go back and listen to that portion of the podcast where I speak more in depth about this. But the way to ensure that no death or destruction comes near us is to remain dwelling in that secret place by saying, by speaking the word of God, by speaking words of life and health and protection and peace over our lives and family every day, by refusing to speak words that give place or opportunity to the devil, by refusing to speak words of fear, death, hate, judging, criticizing, condemning, complaining words or words that agree with and are the language of the devil. The next question is, I've heard that Satan goes to God and accuses us before God of sins we commit, and therefore God allows him to test us. Is that the only case where we are tested? There seems to be oppression or interference when one is making positive progress or about to level up in some way. All right, let's go to the word and find the answers to this question. Before Jesus... The devil had access to God through man's sin and could accuse men before God day and night, as we see that he did in Job's case. But the cross changed all of that. Revelation 12 verse 10 tells us that Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren, has been cast down. He has been hurled out of heaven and can no longer accuse us before God. 
This happened at the cross when Jesus became the payment, the ransom for sin and death. Jesus took all the punishment for all sin, past, present and future, and sin is no longer an issue between us and God. God no longer sees our sin or remembers it and Satan can no longer accuse us before God. And as Hebrews 7 verse 25 tells us, Jesus now sits at the right hand of God and ever lives to make intercession for us. So God does not allow Satan to test us. Satan cannot accuse us before God any longer and God himself does not test us. And this is a common belief in the body of Christ that God puts us through tests and trials to perfect us, to test us and to teach us things. And let me tell you that that is a terrible demonic doctrine because if we are seeing God as the source of our test and trial, then we are not going to resist the devil. And sometimes the verse that people quote is James 1 verse 2 to 3 where it says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying and the testing of your faith produces patience, and let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. And people often use this verse to say, see, God tells us to count it all joy when he puts us through trials of many kinds. Well, firstly, it doesn't say anywhere in this verse that God is the one sending the trials. God isn't the one testing our faith. It's the trial that's testing our faith. See, it says, count it all joy when you encounter trials of many kinds, knowing that the trying and testing of your faith produces patience. Okay, so it's not God that is testing our faith. It's the trial that's testing our faith. In fact, God tells us in the word where tests and trials originate, and it's not from him. In James 1 verse 13, God says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. And I actually dug a bit deeper into this verse and went into the Strong's Concordance to find out exactly what all the words in this verse mean. And in the Greek, the first part of this verse where it says, let no man say when he is tempted, that phrase, let no man say, is written with such emphasis and exhortation that it could be literally translated as, don't ever, ever absolutely never, not let it even be a remote possibility, not even once, let any man say when he is tempted that he is being tempted by God. And the word tempt or tempted, which is used four times in this verse, is the Greek word parazo, which means to make proof of, test, put to trial for the purpose of ascertaining a person's quality, how he thinks or how he will behave, or to try and test a person's faith or character. And the verse goes on to say, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. The phrase cannot be tempted by evil, in the Greek, it means 
incapable of, lacking the very capacity to be enticed or influenced by evil. And in fact, it's actually saying that tests and trials are evil. And the next phrase says, nor does he himself tempt anyone. The word anyone means not a single person in existence, no exceptions. So if we were to translate this passage in James using the original meanings, God would literally be saying, don't ever, 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 not even once, absolutely never, don't even let it be a remote possibility that anyone says when they go through a test or trial or challenge that God is the one testing them to prove them, putting them on trial to refine them, testing them to see how they will think or behave, trying their faith or testing their character. For God is incapable of. In fact, he doesn't even have the capacity to be influenced by evil because purposefully putting people through tests and trials is evil. Nor does he himself ever, 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 never put a single person in existence through tests or trials. No exceptions. No exceptions. Verse 17 goes on to say, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. In other words, tests, trials and challenges are never from God. God is the giver of only good and perfect gifts. He doesn't change like the shadows, one moment over here and the next moment over there. He is the only absolute reference point. Isn't that awesome? And thank God this passage in James does tell us exactly why tests and trials come. In verse 14, it says, But each one is tempted or tested when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. That word desires means strong feelings or impulses. And that phrase drawn away and enticed literally means to lure to bait a hook, to set a trap, to entice a victim into a moral snare. And who is the one who baits hooks, sets traps and entices victims to fall for his schemes? The devil. Have you ever had a feeling like you just wanted to give someone a piece of your mind? Have you ever felt the immense pressure to just vent your feelings? (laughs) Have you ever given into the lusts of the flesh and indulged yourself in a pity party? I must admit that I have. (laughs) The Bible tells us that these pressures that we experience are lures. They are baits and traps that are set by the devil designed to entice us to sin. And verse 15 says... When those desires or those feelings or those impulses are conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And that word conceived, that can mean conception as in a womb, or it can also mean to seize or to take one prisoner. So when those desires or impulses are have conceived or have seized you or taken us prisoner, it gives birth to sin and sin, 
when full grown brings forth death. So challenges, tests and trials are the fully grown offspring of sin, which is the offspring of giving into negative feelings and impulses, which are the result of giving into the lies and suggestions or taking the bait of Satan. Going back to James 1 verse 2 to 3, it says that when these trials come, we can still count it all joy because these challenges have come to test our faith. Trials don't produce patience. In fact, where it says that the trying and the testing of your faith produces patience, they don't produce patience. If you look at the original language, that word actually means to work patience or to employ patience. So the trying and the testing of our faith, it employs our patience. When we're going through a challenge, we have to be patient in resisting the devil, patient in standing on the word, patient in fighting the good fight of faith, patient in casting down the lies and suggestions of the enemy. But the result will be that we are perfect, complete and lacking in nothing. Now, one of the comments that people have made about tests and trials is, but what about Abraham and Isaac? Didn't God test Abraham's faith when he told him to offer Isaac up? Now, the thing is, is that we have to understand that everything changed with Jesus. Jesus was the dividing line between the old covenant and the new covenant. Under the old covenant, sin wasn't atoned for, and God had to make covenants with men in order to legally bring Jesus into the earth and fulfill the plan of redemption. A covenant was what we would call in modern language a contract or a treaty. A covenant was an agreement established on the basis of a relationship and the promises and conditions of that relationship and the consequences if those conditions weren't met. The parties involved in a covenant made binding promises to each other in order to reach a common goal. In Abraham's case, God had to make a covenant with Abraham and had to have a man in a flesh and blood human body be willing to sacrifice his only son in order for him to uphold his part of the covenant and sacrifice his only son. God only had to see that Abraham was willing. He didn't take Isaac and he never allowed Abraham to kill him. In fact, Abraham's trust and confidence in God, his covenant partner, was so sure and strong that he never even feared that God would actually have him kill Isaac. He knew that God had promised him that his seed would outnumber the sand and the stars, and he would have known that even if God had to raise Isaac from the dead, he would never go back on that promise. In fact, we see a hint of Abraham's trust and confidence that God had it all worked out in Genesis 22 verse 5, where he tells Isaac and his companions that God himself would provide a lamb. And that we, meaning he and Isaac, would be back. The only thing God did in this scenario was to test or prove Abraham's willingness. And any time that God appears to test anyone in the Old Testament, it was never with sickness, disease, tragedy or physical trials. But it's so important to remember that now under the new covenant, 
Jesus was the final sacrifice for sin. And Hebrews 10 verse 14 tells us that by one offering, by the single offering of Jesus, he has perfected us forever. To God, we are now perfect and there is no need for him to test any of us ever again. In fact, Jesus himself tells us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer and part of that prayer is to lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And if you look at the original language of this verse, it literally means do not let us yield to temptation but deliver us from the evil one who is the tempter, who is the tester. Isn't that awesome? It's so amazing what you discover when you dig into the word of God. If there's any gray areas surrounding God and his character and his nature, there is always an answer in the word of God, but we just have to look for it and ask the Holy Spirit to help us to see it. Well, I'm going to wrap this episode up here because I have a few more questions and I don't want to let this episode run too long. So I'm going to finish it off here and I'll continue the last part of this in the next episode. So I really hope that this has helped answer some of your questions and that you've received some good revelation on the Word of God and some of those grey areas that seem to be a little bit unclear, areas where we may still have questions about the enemy and how he operates and functions. Again, if you have questions that I haven't answered in this question and answer session, please let me know. Please email me and I will answer you personally. All right, guys, I'm going to conclude this Q&A in the next episode. So until then, stay blessed and I'll catch you again next time on Faith Talks. Thank you so much for being part of today's episode of Faith Talks. If you have any questions related to today's or any of my previous episodes, if you have a testimony you would like to share, or for a free copy of Confessions for Life, please email me at questions at faithtalks.com.au. For episode announcements and regular encouragement, you can now find Faith Talks with Emily Preston on Facebook and Instagram. Finally, if you know anyone who would benefit from today's or any of my previous teachings, please share this podcast with them and help them receive revelation of the truth that will make them free. Until next time, know that I am praying for you and don't forget to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, and you will be blessed in everything that you do. God bless you.